Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. I'm going to spend some time in this hour talking about, well, what some people consider to be a controversial topic, but it's uh, it's a subject that seems to be gaining more and more support uh, across party lines. And it's, it's the whole concept of a wealth tax. Now, on the other side of the border, of course, it's become a very contentious issue. And and they've got some rather prominent uh, spokespeople. I mean, Bernie Sanders, of course, has run for president a couple of times. The independent senator has talked about a wealth tax. No, I won't try to do a Bernie Sanders impression here. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, another uh, Democratic senator, are, is talking about this too. But so are the people that have got a few bucks in their pocket. Uh, Warren Buffett uh, and uh, and Bill Gates and others. I said, look, it, it's it's something that really needs to be done. And, uh, you know, there's a an opportunity here for governments to tap into this. There seems to be a willingness politically for this to happen. I, I don't think the Republicans on the south of the border are, are that much interested in it. Uh, and it's, uh, well, a political hot potato here as well. Now, I know it's been part of the NDP pot- platform for, the, for quite a long time right now, but the uh, the NDP are not the government and probably won't be the government anytime soon, uh, at least on a federal level anyway. But can they influence the government with the relationship that they have between the Liberals and the NDP to consider something like this. And, and there are variations here of what could actually happen. But essentially, it's it's a tax. You set a, a ceiling and say, okay, this much, that's your money, congratulations. But above a certain level, and, and that's to be negotiated, I guess, uh, there will be an extra tax. So some people call it a surcharge, whatever, uh, that is going to be a levied against these very, the, what Jagmeet Singh calls the super rich. Uh, and again, you can make that definition, and, and we'll see and debate that. But anyway, let's let's talk about the po- the possibility of that happening and what the implications of it could be if, in fact, Canada decides to move in that direction. And our next guest can shed some light on that. He is Alex Hemingway, who is a senior economist and public finance policy analyst for the Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives. Uh, Alex, thank you for the time. Good to have you with us today. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me. I was really hoping to hear your Bernie Sanders, but uh, maybe another time. <laughs> I, I may need a beer or two in me to start doing that. I, you know, everyone's doing it now, right? I mean, you know, they've all got the, the Bernie Sanders thing going for them. And I'm, I know Jimmy Fallon does it and, and, and on and on it goes. I'm not, I'm not going to go there. Uh, but anyway, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about that and, and what the impact of this could be. Uh, because I'm hearing positive and negative about this, but uh, the, the fact that there seems to be an increasing number of, of support, or people supporting this from all party lines now, now I think it probably is, is reflective of two things. First of all, I think most of us are now coming to grips with the, the dire financial circumstance this country's in right now, and B, that the tax system that we're using and have been using for so long uh, needs some tweaking, if not some major revisions, doesn't it? Yeah, no, it, it really does, and the, the perception of that uh imbalance unfairness in the tax system is very widespread and and you see that reflected in in the polling on on policies uh like wealth tax and you know wealth tax you know is is one element of that but there there are others too you know when you look at the the way our income tax system works for example we we tax capital gains income at half the rate that we tax income from from wage work or salary which is uh you know a, a major major imbalance there and and that we forego a lot of revenue from that but one you know a nice feature of of the annual wealth tax approach focused on the very high end which is what we put forward in our our, our recent uh, report on this uh is is that we're talking about you know if you're in the richest one percent you're actually not rich enough to be affected by this tax. We're talking about a tax here that would affect the top half of 1%. Uh, 
So very narrowly targeted, uh, dealing with that top end inequality, which has become extreme uh, uh, in this country. And despite that narrow targeting, you can raise a very substantial amount of, of revenue uh, uh, at a federal level with a wealth tax that, that would make a, would make a noticeable difference. You know, we, when we modeled this, we find, you know, you can raise $32 billion in the first year and it actually rises from there, uh, uh, because, you know, we're talking about wealth tax rates that would only slow the, the growth of these fortunes at, at the high end. They're actually not as aggressive as, as some of those that have been proposed south of the border, you know, which I think are worthwhile to talk about too. But I think, you know, uh, uh, it's good to keep in mind that we're talking about actually a growing revenue base here, even with a wealth tax. And, you know, we could get into what what you could fund with that as well. Well, yeah, because I know that one of the, the drawbacks or one of the criticisms with this is, well, you know, the government's just going to waste that money anyway, because they don't spend money very well. And and maybe, maybe that's a valid argument, but I, I think it's really separate and apart. And I, I don't, I'm not going to get into that now, because I mean, that's that's government behavior. We're talking about revenue generation right now, uh, which is becoming a problem. And uh, I guess the, you know, the wage gap and the, the salary gap and the uh, and the, the wealth gap or lack thereof. Uh, has become very apparent over the last little while. There are the haves, the have-nots. We already have talked, I guess, a number of times, and, and people have written dozens of essays about the, uh, the the you know the disintegration of the middle class right now. You're either very wealthy or or poor in this country right now, and there's not a whole lot of in between. So, how do you address that? And is there a willingness now to look at something like this as an alternative, not as a silver bullet, but as part of the solution? Yeah, no, I think that there is, and you know, uh, when you look at that top end inequality, you know, just to put a couple of numbers on it quickly, we're talking about the richest uh, 1% controlling 25 to 30% of, of the country's wealth. Uh, uh, you know, 61 Canadian billionaires now control about uh, $324 billion in wealth. So, you know, the, the, there's a lot going on in the top end. There is an interest in this, uh, and uh, you were alluding to this at, at, at the top of the piece. Uh, uh, when you look at the polling, uh, there's been multiple polls on this idea of an annual wealth tax focused on the super rich. Uh, you see, uh, most recent one, 89% support of, by Canadians. How many issues unite Canadians to that extent? Uh, that includes 83% of conservative voters. So it is, it's not a partisan issue. It's not a left right thing. Everyone can see that, that, that something's not, not right here. Well, you know, it's interesting though, despite that, uh, it does feel like it's not really on the agenda of the federal government. It's not really on the parliamentary agenda. And I think that's, that's a concern. There's a, there's a, there's a disconnect there. And I think that raises some questions about how well our uh, democracy is functioning. You know, normally you would think a, a policy that popular, you would have politicians crawling over each other, trying to back it. But, but I think it speaks to, you know, the influence of, of, those very wealthy folks in our political system, uh, you know, which is concerning, but it, it's also something that can that can be overcome too. And I, you know, I want to emphasize that, and maybe we could talk about that. Well, and again, to your point about uh, the government's responsibility and the government's attitude toward this, it's it, it is questionable. I mean, how many speeches from the throne have we heard over the last number of years, Alex? That said, yeah, they're going to go after uh, you know people that hide their money offshore and you know they don't pay any tax on that at all. Uh, but but they never do, uh, and, and that's just something that sounds good during a speech. But you know it's going to take some government action, and they don't do that. Now this seems to fall under the same realm. But 
one of the other criticisms about it is that look at some of and because I saw a stat about this the other day, uh, seems relative anyway. That said, a very very small percentage of the wealth in this country is inherited wealth. It's really accrued wealth from people that that have worked their butts off and have done very well. Uh, when I just and, and I mean I, I all even the Bronfens were like that at one point I guess, but but they've moved to a different level right now. But this is this is not a, a punishment. This is not a a, a, a you know a penalty for people that do well in this country. It's, it's looking at those uh, that, as I understand it anyway, one of the explanations is not just about income, but it's about wealth. In other words, uh, you know, what they own, uh, things of this nature. In other words, they're kingdoms, really. Yeah, no, exactly. That's And, and the policy that, that, that we've talked about in, in my most recent report, we really are, we're talking about a wealth tax specifically. So very much distinct from income, uh, uh, looking at the total stock of of assets minus debts so net wealth actually uh from from those at the very very top you know to the inheritance point uh, my colleague david mcdonald did a report on this a, a few years ago and there is actually a pretty significant extent of inherited wealth in this country as well when you looked at the top uh uh 87 richest families uh he found i'd have to look back but i think it was about a half of those included very significant amounts of inherited wealth but you know putting that aside i think and you alluded to this earlier as well. There are, I think, many folks at, at that top end, you know, who would be willing to to chip in a little bit more when they see, you know, the, the social fabric, uh, you know, fraying around us. There, you know, the, this inequality issue uh, can be really damaging to to our society. It's also damaging to our economy. Look at uh, relatively conservative institutions like the International Monetary Fund, the OECD. They've uh, published research in the past number of years pointing out that uh, the levels of inequality in the world are actually putting a drag on economic growth. And it means, you know, uh, when, when we have chronic underinvestment in certain public services and infrastructure, that means a lot of people uh, who could be flourishing and aren't and actually could be contributing their own innovations and efforts to the economy. Uh, there, there's a there's a drag in that sense. And, uh, you know, so that's there, there's a sense in which this type of redistributive policy, redistributing from the the, the very top end, half one percent, with with a wealth tax to uh, uh, to the rest of us, can also you know reduce that in, not only reduce that inequality, but also actually help uh, boost our economic growth uh, in the long run. One of the other questions that's been raised, I wanted to get you to address this because I, I hear it oftentimes when the subject comes up, and it does come up more often these days. Is that if you do this, and 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 there's this 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 extra tax that's going to be uh, implied applied here rather, uh, is that going to have an impact on what these people do? Which is yes, they have accrued wealth, uh, but they're also responsible for an awful lot of the ultra autism that comes in here. They, in other words, they donate to charities, they raise, and I, I know some of the famous ones, though you know the Gates Foundation and, and things of this nature, uh, but as do Canadian families too. You know, supporting for hospitals and, and a number of things that are very necessary in communities. Uh, does that reduce? Is is a concern about a reduction in that? In other words, we're going to have to pay more to the government. Uh, maybe we're going to cut back on on the money we're going to donate to certain charities. Is that is that a legitimate concern? Yeah, that surprisingly, uh, maybe not. Uh, so, you know, there's been an explosion of of research on on wealth taxes specifically in the past few years from economists in the U.S. and the U.K., Europe as well, where where these proposals have have popped up, and it is seen as a viable policy. But a lot of this goes into some, ex, you know, details exactly like this. What would happen to charitable giving? Uh, there's actually an argument that it it will increase. 
because, uh, you know, so and, and personally, you know, I, I, I'm in favor, you know, providing for these types of social needs, you know, together through our shared institutions of government. I think that should be our primary focus. But to the extent that uh, some of these folks on the top end would rather, you know, get to direct those funds themselves uh, rather than all of us shaping it uh, uh, through government, uh, uh, they actually may have an additional incentive to to give more to charity so there's less available to be taxed away. That's some of the argument in, in the literature. I don't think we know until until we implement that. That's that type of incentive would be even stronger if if you structured uh, structured it as an inheritance tax rather than an annual wealth tax, which is what we've been focused on. So you know there are different ways you could come at it. I, and again, I guess one of the key elements to this whole thing is the ceiling. I mean, what I've heard from an awful lot of these proposals anyway is uh, under the structure, the first $10 million of net worth uh, would be unaffected. It's only the portion above that that, that would actually be taxed. Is is that a pretty common barometer through the, some of the proposals you've seen? Yeah, no, that that's generally how it's structured. And so, you know, I mentioned that that $10 million threshold gets you to the richest half percent of the country. And, you know, we, we've in our proposal, we've structured in some, you know, so a 1% tax above on wealth above 1 million, the first 10 million is exempt, some additional, but we've included some additional brackets as well. So 2% above 50 million, 3% above 100 million. Uh, once you start to get up to those levels, you're talking about a very, very small segment of the population, you know, uh, uh, talking about sort of three, 4,000 people uh, uh, families, excuse me, in, in that top bracket. So, uh, uh, you know, it's narrowly targeted and it does mean that, yeah, that, that first 10 million is unaffected. And, and so, you know, you don't have to worry about that. You can become very affluent even under this type of tax, but hopefully you can, you can live in a society that's functioning better, that has, uh, uh more investment in critical infrastructure that we know we, we haven't been investing in properly in recent decades. We can get more of a handle on the climate crisis uh, uh, and, and so on. And I think a lot of people uh, at the top or at the bottom you know, want to live in a better uh, functioning society. That would be an interesting proposal. I'm just kind of blue skying it here. But, you know, if there's a government that had that kind of foresight that said, yeah, we're going to do this, uh, but we're not going to just put this into general revenues. This is going into a dedicated fund. Uh, and we'll, you know, it will, and it's going to fund specific projects, and we can talk about some of those things. I, I think people feel a lot more comfortable with taxation, any kind of taxation, don't they, Alex? If if they know where the money's going and what it's being spent on, as opposed to well, general revenue, which means God knows where they're going to spend it. Well, that's that's absolutely true, and and that that what you're pointing to, the research bears that out. We actually uh, did some uh, polling on this ourselves at the Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives a number of years ago, and. The more directly people can see, you know, where a, where a given uh, revenue source is is going to flow, uh, the higher the support for that is. Absolutely, uh, you know, because there is, you know, there there's, there has been an erosion of trust in in what we can accomplish together through government. You know, is it going to be well spent and and so on? And I have some criticisms along that line myself uh, in oh, certain areas, but overall, uh, overall, we're actually. Uh, spending as a share of our GDP, our government spending is much lower than it was a few few decades ago. So as a share of our total economic pie, and that's borne out in some of this underinvestment. And, you know, just to make it concrete, in the case of the the, the wealth tax uh, model that we put forward, that revenue, just to 
uh, give you a set of services and that that could pay for $32 billion a year. That would alone pay for universal public pharmacare, free tuition for college and university, uh, building 100,000 affordable homes a year, major increase in, in public transit investment. And, you know, you can pick your set of favorite investments. I can't do them all, but boy, it, it can do a lot. And those are things that, you know, bring down household costs at a time when people are struggling with cost of living. Uh, uh, but they are also, you know, when you think of transit investment, think of housing so people can live, uh, you know, close to where their jobs are. That's helpful for businesses recruiting workers. Uh, there are economic payoffs to these types of infrastructure and service investments. Uh, so it can be a win-win-win. Well, it's a discussion I'd like to see at the highest level in, in government. And I just, they, for some reason, seem very skittish about it. But uh, I think there's, as these things increase, and you can look at some of these projects, and especially, you know, uh, this coalition or whatever they want to call it between the Liberals and the NDP right now, uh, when they want to talk about things like tuition and they want to talk about dental care programs and, uh, and affordability, uh, to tap into something like this, especially if there seems to be uh, some level of acceptance among the super rich to say, yeah, yeah, we could live with that. I mean, some of them, are, they're not going to notice it. I mean, you know, they, they don't go over the books themselves every day and there's there's money to be had there. I, I, I guess we're just going to have to wrap it up here. As, I, I'm going to be on side with this, Alex, and I want to talk to our listeners about this, but as long as it doesn't have a negative impact on Ryan Reynolds' attempt to buy the senators, I mean, I'd be very concerned. <laughs> if he says, "I sorry, I'm out of here now. Snoop, it's yours. Uh, you know, we can't allow that to happen. But if, if, if that's not going to be impacted, I think we're going to be okay with it. I think that's a fair criteria, Bill. I can't okay. argue with that. <laughs> Alex, always a pleasure. Great to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for this. Thanks a lot, Bill. Take care. Alex Hemingway, Senior Economist and Public Finance Policy Analyst for the Canada Center for Policy Alternatives. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.